Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, joined by Aaron Keller. And today we have our waterfowl staff specialist, Russell Wolstenhume, joining us in the podcast room. Great to have you here, Russell. Great to be here as always, Ashley. And um, we, yeah, people are going to be hearing a lot from you in the next couple of weeks because what they don't know is that they hear these every week, but we actually just recorded another podcast with you That's on right. uh, migratory upland game birds. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, and then today we're going to be talking about duck banding because it is that time of year you came to my office because I actually like to go out on these projects because they're fun right. to go to. Right. And then I was like, I think that'd be worth a podcast too. Yeah. You know what? This time of year, the summertime, we have a lot of, of banding going on. This year, we've been trying to expand our program. So historically in the past, we've always banded in Lahontan Valley, around Fallon, Stillwater, Carson Lake, and Pasture, some of those vicinities. And this year, I've been working with our habitat division to get out um, to, to work with their managers at the, at the wildlife management areas. We're setting a bunch of them up with their own banding operations. So Mason Valley's been doing it for about five or six years, but now I've got Overton down south and Key Pittman that are operational. Kirch is nearly operational. I'm trying to get Steptoe online as well. So we'll have a lot more banding operations going on around the state, which is pretty exciting. Um, the wind group has helped us in that in that endeavor down at Las Vegas. So th- yeah, that's a great thanks to them. Yeah, and so well. What is the wind group? Um, they're a, a, a non-government organization, an NGO, yep. a sportsman's group out of Southern Nevada that does works does a lot of stuff with um, habitat development mostly. That's what they're looking at. But um, yeah, pretty use pretty user friendly group down there, and they've been they've been doing some <laughs> some nesting boxes for uh, wood ducks and geese on private land down south as well. So. Cool. So yeah. that's those are great locations to get going the wildlife management areas. Right, right, and they're they're seeing some early success, so it's pretty exciting. Awesome. Yeah, and when I asked you on to do this podcast, I didn't even know that was happening. Yeah, so that's a nice, good information to know. Um, and then so well, let's talk about what, why do we have duck banding for people that don't know? So duck banding serves a lot of purposes. So I'll start off with Nevada's primary goals here. So. The Pacific Flyway, their waterfowl season setting process is driven by what's called the Western Mallard model. So our primary objective coming from the Fish and Wildlife Service is to band mallards. So that's kind of our primary goal. I've got traps out. They're focused on getting mallards. Now, any duck that swims in gets a band. That's just our policy. Okay. What is a band? A band. A leg leg band. (laughs) A leg band. um, So... They're uniquely numbered metal bands that go on the legs of birds. They're on all birds. Um, can be banded. There's very so it's like a wedding band. 
on their leg. Right, on their leg. Right. It has and a it, unique number. Right, kind of like a license plate for birds. Yep. So it's got a unique number so that we can identify when that bird was banded, where it was banded, and then if those bands are ever recovered, then we can we retrieve information on where the bird went and how long has it been since it was banded, where is it, where is it shown up, and, and that information provides a lot of of what we use for bird management and determining. That's how originally the, the flyways were determined. It's oh, through, yeah. through banding data on, okay. on to determine where are these birds flying. And I actually um, went and looked today at, there's a, there's a program from the Bird Banding Lab, which is a, a USGS um, agency, organization, and they've got this program called Game Birds. And I went and pulled a bunch of the banding data from Nevada, just out of curiosity, this talking today to see where have Nevada birds gone and what birds come to Nevada where where are we seeing what places are these are primarily for hunted birds that I was looking at so we've had um, some of the, the most interesting we've had hundreds and hundreds of our birds go to Mexico not surprisingly that's part of our flyway system but ducks morning doves a lot of a lot of our different banded birds show up down in mexico but we've had um 12 of our birds that we all pintails that we've banded in the past that have been harvested in russia wow and we had this one was the craziest one that i saw was we had a cinnamon till that showed up in jamaica I don't know how that happened. Yeah, <laughs> and it was banded crazy. in Nevada. It was banded in Nevada <laughs> and harvested or spotted, right? Cause right. You, if you can, right? You you can. They can be. You can report bands through spotting them. Um, yeah. A lot of times, other people who are doing banding operations. Oh yeah, capture, recapture. We'll, stuff, we'll, yeah. we'll pick up and report band numbers. So uh, I get band reportings all the time from people with spotting scopes that are just out bird watching and can read the bands on on the legs with the numbers and report wow. them that way. So kind of interesting. So birds that have shown up from from other places have been shown up in Nevada. Um, I've got I made a list of 42 different states and Canadian provinces and countries that showed up with birds that have been shown up in Nevada from those other places. So banded in those other places, right. And then came so, here. So we had um, again Mexico. There was some pintails um, from that have come up out of Mexico that were banded down there. Um, not surprisingly, there's a lot of snow geese banded in in Russia on Wrangell Island out of Russia. So we've had some of those show up here before. And the strangest one from showing up from someplace else to Nevada was um, an area called Oceania, which is basically Australia and all the little surrounding islands around it. We had a pintail show up from from Wild. Clear, clear down by Australia. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so <That> r- <laughs> these birds can fly, and they can fly a long ways. And you know, with with something like waterfowl, they can they can even stop and rest along the way. There's there's some bird species that that migrate, like sandhill cranes, for example. They they can't land in the ocean. So if they fly over the ocean, if they come out of Alaska and fly into the lower 48 states, it's usually either inland or if they go over the ocean it's, it's a non-stop flight are you even hmm. surprised anymore when you see bands from some of these places no because you know it's just like i said i mean my whole career i've always told people the one thing i know for sure about water about about wildlife is i don't know anything for sure except they're mobile 
and they can show up anywhere, especially in the bird world, because they fly. You know, I mean, a, a duck can fly, a, a mallard can fly with no tailwind, fifty to sixty miles an hour, and they can fly eight hours without without resting. I don't and think I've ever known that. You get a t- <laughs> you get a tailwind, and they they like to migrate on storm fronts where you get winds because it pushes them along, and and birds have been waterfowl have been recorded at you know pushing 100 miles an hour with the tailwind wow hmm. so that makes for fast migrating uh another another tidbit that i i recently came across the the highest bird strike on a mallard ever recorded was over nevada a commercial airliner flying at 21,000 feet hit a duck a, a mallard over nevada <laughs> so <laughs> i mean they're yeah. It, they're amazing flyers. People don't don't get sometimes what kind of flyers they are, but it's pretty crazy. But we figure a lot of that out through through the banding process, and that's and that's a lot of why we do it. Mallards in particular, because of that Western mallard model, drives our regulations. So that's our target. The Fish and Wildlife Service a number of years ago set goals for every state for banding for mallards, and this one this one's always like dumbfounded me a little bit. California has a goal of 2,000 mallards annually. Idaho, Oregon, and Washington combined has a goal of 2,000 mallards annually. Nevada has a goal of 4,000 mallards. And that's (laughs) largely because we have so fewer hunters that we just don't get the returns that they get from the other states. So it takes a lot more birds in order to get enough birds for it to be meaningful to go into into the model that determines the population levels for mallards. Yeah, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Yeah. So I we know, need twice as many as the state of California. Right. And we've we've never we've never reached it. I mean right. we've said it's not just it's a it's a statewide goal. So the the federal refuges that do banding all go into that number. Anyone else who's doing banding of those of the mallards go into that. And so that's just mallards. And that's ju- that's just mallards, yeah. yeah. So um, so we band every every duck that comes into that, that we that we catch that we can, our traps that we trap right. right, and those are so that can be anything that can be that can be any duck species. I mean, we occasionally we'll get some other species that I I don't band. Yeah. Um. I I won't let I won't let my banders in the field band coots, although, and we have some other projects in the state where occasionally they do band. Sometimes, coots. yeah. Right. Um. But we we do a lot of banding of mallards, but we get, I looked um, since f- over the last 10, 12 years, I pulled some other data. So just Department of Wildlife, this isn't counting the other banders in the state, have banded, uh, Department of Wildlife has banded since 2008, 28,500 birds, waterfowl. Okay. That doesn't count the non-waterfowl birds that we band. So, one of the big numbers is is Canada geese, from from the annual roundup here in in uh, the Reno area. So we banned a fair number of Canada geese. Mallards is the biggest number. Um, the next biggest number of birds that we banned are morning doves. On our a different podcast, we talked about banding mm-hmm. morning doves, but mm-hmm. we banned a lot of morning doves. We have a goal for morning doves as well, of 400 morning doves annually, and we reach that easily every year, but um, because of 
of the wood duck project that went on for years. There's a fair number of wood ducks that have been banded, some by the department and some by, by uh, you know, when Chris Nicola was running that project, he banded a lot of birds. And then anything else we catch, we you know we teal sometimes, um, a fair number of pintail over the years, fair number of gadwalls. So all sorts of yeah. things. Yeah, and uh, by by those states and other countries that you're saying, I mean some of those are traveling a long way and right. keep pulling data from all over the world. Right, right. Yeah. Well, let's take a break right there, but we will come right back after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. We are joined by our waterfowl staff specialist, Russell Wolstenhume. Thanks for being here again, Russell. I love being here. I would do this full time if I could. I know, <laughs> I you should. Doing this. Yeah. Yeah, once we get people in here and they kind of get warmed up and then it you got you're especially I was good like at I it, don't though. even know if he needs warmed up though. <laughs> he right? Yeah, he's especially good. At it. Um and we we've been talking about duck banding, what it is. You were talking about all this data that's some of the data is really surprising to hear about that you get from duck banding. Right. Um so could you tell us like what information specifically do you get off of those bands then? Okay, and I'll, let me talk about this kind of I'll, I'll back it up one step and talk yes. about, first off, how people report their bands. Yes, so that's definitely something an, we want to get into. Anyone who has band data to report, be it hunter or bird watcher who has a band number, or um, sometimes people find them on deceased birds, or, you know, in, um, we've had bands show up in, um, if you know what a scat pile is. Ashley, I'm asking you specifically. I don't know <laughs> if I know what that is. That's <laughs> it's, it's, it's animal dung. <laughs> I so knew that. We've had it's, bands. It's we've biologist. I just uh, wanted you right. to say <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of the nice, w- nicest way I can I think know of what that is. <laughs> I just wanted you to okay. have to explain so it. <laughs> we've, we've had duck bands show up in like mountain lion dung before. I mean, it's like they can be they can be found anywhere. So anyway, when someone has a number to report a band number, you can go on to reportbands.gov and there's a, it's a website, you, lo- you go onto the site, you tell them, I have a band, you report the band number, and if you report the band number, what you're given, any information you have, your, the location of where the band came from, the species, if you know what it is, and you will receive a certificate from the USGS that has the information on where the, where the bird was banded, who banded it, the date, the age of the bird, that it was banded and you'll receive all that information and you can see how get an idea of how old the bird is it's great information where it came from and then on the other side of it I received the data on where the person found the band the date they found it where they found it and it provides me the information on the back end so I get the same information it's it's a two-way street this Mm -hmm. is bird banding is one of the coolest 
ex experiments in citizen science I've ever seen. This has been going on for close to 100 years. There's been different reporting methods over the years. Um, we're, we're to the report bands.gov now, which is a great system because it's so quick and easy. To, you can do it on your phone, a computer, wherever you're at. Mm -hmm. It's really simple to do it, but it's great information. And if you don't report the band, you'll never know the history of that bird. Exactly. Plus, I'll never know the information that helps me ma better manage the species as well. That's what I was going to say. They're contributing to science in your work, and they could also find information right. all about right. this bird that, from what you were telling us earlier, could have been in Australia <laughs> right. at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say it's probably the longest running, I think we might have said this before, the longest running citizen science project yeah. ever. Yeah, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's simply amazing. I mean, when I was looking back at the data I mentioned earlier, there's data in that system clear back into the 40s and 50s that, that I can look at still and pull information from if, if I want to. Wow. And so there's all sorts of ways that people can come across the band. And my cousin, when we would be walking down dikes or um, like next to a marsh, he would always find them and they would be, I don't know, killed from like hawks or something. And they right. drag them up onto the bank and then eat them. And he would always look, and he would get lucky and find them all the time. Right. Not right. all the time, but, I mean, he mm -hmm. seemed like all the time when I was a kid. Right. You know, and we've there's, you know, wa wildlife dies from any number of things. Um, we've had disease events in places, and, you know, and, and the botulism, the, the main one I'm thinking of a few years ago. And we banded a ton of the birds that we pulled, rehabbed off of the botulism. Mm -hmm. But there was a fair number of birds that didn't make it, that just, mm -hmm. you know, wave action washed them up on the dikes. So Right. You know, other wildlife's consuming them, and you find bands that way. And it's just, you can read them, like I said, with, with spotting scopes. There's just so many different ways. Oh, yeah, that's them. what I wanted to talk about. So if somebody's out and they're just looking at birds, like birders, mm -hmm. they can report those bands as yeah. well, right? Absolutely. Yep, they, they go to the same web page. Um, the information it asks you is, how did you come across this band number? Oh, okay. So it'll say like ha harvested or, or just spotted. Or you can say you, I, I spotted it. You know, or, yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of different questions. They're just trying to figure out the information. From yeah, so you don't have to kill the bird to, no. to get oh, the no. information. Mm -hmm. And then so then the other thing I was going to ask you is with that is sometimes you'll see geese with a neck call. We call them a neck collar, right. I guess. Right, right. Um, yeah. Do we do that in Nevada? So um, we have in the past. We haven't done a neck collaring for a while Um Oh, probably about 12, 15 years ago during break, you had asked me about swans. And yeah. sti Stillwater banded a bunch of swans and put net colors on swans as well. So there's a lot of different what they call um, alternate markings mm -hmm. that's used just to more easily ID birds, uh, usually for research purposes. Chris Nikolai, when he was running the Woodbeck Project, had colored leg bands as well as the metal, the, the federal metal band that had unique markings on them and colors. Uh, we've done it, we did um, about 15 years ago, did a sandhill crane study here in Nevada, and we put, their legs are so long, we didn't use net collars, we used, we were putting radio collar, um, transmitters on the, on the cranes, and those had a unique number on them that you could be spotted like a net collar. <laughs> okay. On their long legs for easy field identification. Yeah. But. Um, Years and years ago, I worked on a, a killdeer study, and we put the federal metal band that goes on any bird that you mark has to have the federal metal band with the unique number. But we would put 
four different colored bands on the killer's leg. So you could identify that individual from a distance because their numbers are too small to read on, on, their, right, on yeah. their leg band. And then they also received a colored band signifying the state they were banded in. And then a, another colored band that signified they were, they were banded in the United States. So those things would fly away with seven bands on oh them. Oh, my uh, gosh. On, on <laughs> a whole bunch of jewelry. <laughs> Luckily, they had long legs, so yeah. there's yeah. lots of room for it. And then another band that is kind of, I've, you hear about them every once in a while, is a reward band. Right. Do we do reward bands in Nevada? or So periodically, the reward bands usually come out of federal projects. There's um, There's been various ones over the years, but essentially... The reward bands, there'll be a, a secondary band on the bird. A lot of times they like to use a different colored band. They like to use gold colored bands a lot for the reward bands, but it can be any other color. Green, I've seen a green one. Green ones, right. Yeah. So, and essentially what, what the, they're doing with the reward bands is they're anticipating a higher rate of reporting for the reward bands because you're getting something out of it. An incentive to report. An incentive to report. And then we compare that with the reporting rates for all the other bands that don't have rewards. And it helps us determine reporting rates. We know that not everybody reports their bands, unfortunately. Right. So it it helps us determine what the reporting rate is on the regular bands, which then gives us a a reporting rate number that we can use when we're modeling for populations. And how much is the reward? I mean, it, I know it ranges, but yeah, it, it varies. The last, the last duck one that I, that they had going on, was a hundred dollars for for a bird. Yeah, yeah, and it's like twenty five to a hundred dollars, but it could be anything. You don't know. Right, right. right. It's, just, it's usually set by the project and and how much the, you know the project is going to afford to pay for them, and what hmm. and what will incentivize people. And so, how much higher are the um, reporting rates for those? Are they they're, they're quite usually, a bit higher. Yeah, they're usually I mean, they're usually you know I mean I don't have any data specifically yeah. in front of me, but usually eighty to ninety percent for reward bands, yeah, and forty to fifty percent for for normal bands, which is it's kind of kind of sad to me that there's not you know like forty to fifty percent of people that report their bands. Yeah, when it's it's such an important part of you know yeah. especially especially if you're a hunter, every aspect of the whole banding process and all the effort and time we put in and why we have this going on across not just the U.S., but Canada and Russia and, I mean, all these other countries that do banding, the importance of it is is to better drive our, our population estimates and our modeling so that we can perpetuate the, sp- the very sport that they're, they're hunting for the bands from, right? Right. If they don't report those waterfowl bands in particular, they're only hurting themselves. So mm-hmm. I, I've never understood why hunters. It's a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> why they don't? They don't want you to know where they're getting yeah. birds. And well, stuff. and and I assure you that data is so well guarded. Yeah. That, I mean, try try finding some banded banding data from from the USGS <laughs> online. I, I, yeah. I challenge right. you. And then, um, so we're actively banding right now. Right? Yes, that's right. what I wanted to ask. Yes. How how long do we band in the year? Like so, a- so there's there's window time frames that they that they want us to operate in. So for mallards, which is one of our primary species that we're banding for, so the Fish and Wildlife Service wants bands from birds between July 15th 
and then the earliest possible 10 days before the earliest waterfowl season okay and the reason for that 10 days is so that we don't have bait out on the ground we don't want to put some hunter who's unaware that the bait's there to get ticketed for hunting over bait so we wrap up 10 days beforehand that gives you time for all of the for all of the bait to be cleaned up by the birds although I believe I was telling Ashley this the other day that, that one year the bait wasn't cleaned up on a dry site that we was using rocket nets, Chris Nikolai and I. On the day before the hunt, I remember being out there on the bank of the river with Chris Nikolai on our hands and knees, picking up with our fingers, <laughs> one kernel at a time, corn off of the ground so that it was cleared up before the hunt started. Yeah. So that we, yeah. we didn't put someone there. But. Yeah, and so you're you're using that attractant to bring them in to the rocket nets, then you can shoot them off. Right. And then capture them. Right, and, and yeah. most mostly for the department, what we use are swimming traps, baited swimming traps. Okay. They're, they're sitting out in the water, so you have to wait out to get to them, and we put bait in there. How ducks can find in muddy water, how they can find corn laying on the bottom, <laughs> I, I don't know. But, <laughs> but they do it. But they do it, and they do it well. And, yeah, so... You know, it's, there's lots of different operations for cat catching the. So you get like a month and or two months then ish time it's, to band it's, all it's of your. It's almost ducks. almost three months that three we months. Can, that we have to. Um, I guess that's two months, huh? Yeah. You're right. Yeah, two months to band mallards in. Dang. So and then and then morning doves we do a lot of banding of. It starts a little earlier. It goes. It starts July 1st rather than the 15th. Uh-huh. So, and those dates are based off of they're trying to get information from each state on production. That's one of the at the same time. At the same yeah, time, like that's one of the things that we can also get from this is production. Right. And if you outside of that window, you're not really sure where the birds came from, and so yep. that's that's why they shoot for that window. Hmm. Interesting. Lots of good information, and we're already out of time. But can, you can we go longer? I know, especially yeah. for this guest. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we you we just talked about the importance of if you find a bird or find a band, the importance of reporting that. So one more time, what is that website? It's reportbands.gov. Okay, so you could report a band and be contributing to science, helping Russell out. So definitely, and helping really everyone, right. uh, Hel- anyone helping with interest. Helping yourself out, learning, learning yeah. about what you have in your hand. Exactly. Well, thank you, Russell, for being here. I wish we could keep going longer with you. Mm-hmm. And thank you, everyone, for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.